truck driving is a hard job in 2019. Right. I mean, it, it's something that the people that do it largely choose to do it because they feel pro- they they know that what they're doing is essential. They know that whether you acknowledge it or not, that without them there wouldn't have been you know groceries in the grocery store. And so I hope that the service that they provide and the pride that they take in their job somehow resonates and that people are able to hold on to that beyond coronavirus. Hey, it's Nate DeSaro and welcome to Titans of Industry, the podcast where I talk to industry leaders and innovators who are at the top of their game and leading the pack in their fields, uncovering some of the best stories in today's business landscape. In this episode, I sit down with Shannon Newton, the president of the Arkansas Trucking Association, which represents over 300 members ranging from independent owner operators to international companies like FedEx and J.B. Hunt. I talked to Shannon about the importance of the trucking industry amid the COVID-19 crisis, how great leaders continue leading through hard times, and how her woman-led team is breaking down barriers left and right. And now let's get to the episode. But before we do, it's important to know that whether you're a small business owner or the face of a multi-billion dollar industry, your organization has a great story to tell, and Content Titan wants to help you tell it. We are a digital content creation powerhouse built for the 21st century, providing all-in creative, strategic, production, post-production, and distribution services for a 360-degree, 24-7 world. In our world, Titans are passionate, creative doers. They have the experience to take your project from start to finish, minimizing your involvement so you can focus on what matters most, running your business. So if you're ready to take your content strategy and production to the next level, our Titans are ready to help. Now here's my conversation with Shannon Newton. Well, Shannon, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. Let's jump right in and just tell me, how did you end up in the trucking world? Oh, thanks for having me, Nate. Um, My journey to be in trucking was purely an accident. I went to college at the University of Central Arkansas, and I went knowing that I wanted a degree in accounting, went all the way through, graduated the accounting degree, and the opportunity that presented itself just happened to be with a trucking company um, in North Little Rock. So my first job was at Maverick Transportation, North Little Rock, and at that time, it was really just, um, I saw a lot of value and opportunity within the company, um, and I didn't really know that much about trucking, and so I kind of came in with a fresh perspective and no preconceived notions, and um, um, haven't looked back since then. So you essentially been in it your whole career. Uh, I won't say true. you don't know anything else because you know a lot about a lot of things, but um, talk us a little bit through where it was when you kind of got into it and then where it is now. Sure. I'm sure there's been magnificent changes. Yeah, well, kind of, um, like I said, when I, as a, you know, 23-year-old going, you know, into my first job, I don't know that I had a lot of appreciation for where trucking was, quote unquote. Um, you know, I just... I saw, knew that it was an industry that was um, prevalent within the state. I thought that there would be a lot of opportunities for growth there with, uh, within the industry. And so um, you know, looking back, knowing what I know now, looking back in the, in the early 2000s and where the industry was, you know, trucking as we know it was really kind of born in 1980 um, with deregulation and, and the mass, you know, entrance into the industry and just super growth in, um, in like the early 80s. And so in, when I came into this, it was only like 20 years old. Um, and so thinking, I obviously didn't know that at the time, but if you roll that forward to now being, you know, 18 years later, the industry is very different. Um, I mean, at that time, you still had a lot of people um, kind of doing it their own way. Um, there was, a, was not a lot of sophistication in the enterprise of the trucking industry. You had, um, you know, people just buying equipment and hauling loads and trying to make money. Um, the, the data revolution that's happened in the last 18 years with just how much um, sophistication has come into ROI and pricing and the, you know, the details of the equipment and MPG and aerodynamics and just so much sophistication um, today compared to where we were, you know, 20 years ago. So you've moved into a role that's that you don't directly affect one single company. Talk a little bit about kind of what you do, where you're at now, and, and what that role looks like day to day. Yeah, so um, I worked in the industry, quote unquote, you know, in trucking um, for a year. So I was at Maverick um, for a little over a year, and then I came to the association. And kind of my you know, concept of the association at that time, you know, Maverick was involved in the association, so I knew that um, that there was this organization that was involved in, in advocating for, you know, the interest of the industry. But I really didn't know what that meant. Um, 
And so now, um, having been at the association, um, it'll be 17 years um, next month. Um, you know, Feels the, like just yesterday, right? <laughs> it, it is one of those things that seems odd. Um, but I will say that, you know, time does fly when you're having fun. And I don't regret a minute of it. And I love being here. Um, but the association represents the industry as a whole. So we have um, over 300 members, um, and they span from, you know, individual operators who are in, you know, South Arkansas and run seven trucks, um, all the way up to, you know, international enterprises like J.B. Hunt and, and FedEx. Um, and so we have a wide, um, fragmented industry and, and members all over the spectrum in the trucking space, but then also um, the service providers to the industry. So we, our membership also includes um, those who provide you know, insurance or trucks or um, service or all sorts of technology and safety um, equipment. So the membership is vast. Um, and, and in Arkansas, that um, you know, because of the carriers that are located here, because of the impact that the industry has on the economy here, um, representing them and working in the industry is certainly something that I take pride in, and it makes it um, it makes it more fun uh, than perhaps um, representing trucking in some other part of the country or representing some other industry in Arkansas. I think the alignment of the industry um, and the industry here certainly. Um, gives our organization um, a louder voice and a big platform to make an impact. I think a lot of people, when they think of the trucking industry, they think the annoying big rigs on the highway that won't let them pass or whatever, you know, or almost run them off the road. Talk about the importance of the industry as a whole, especially, and we can, you know, jump into this next, but right now. Um, Yeah, so really, I mean, if you boil it down to the purpose of the association is to promote, protect, and serve the trucking industry. And so like the very core reason that we exist is to help people understand the relationship between the standard of living that they enjoy and the service that the industry provides. Mm. And that it's not just the truck that's in front of you between here and Memphis or the truck that didn't negotiate the intersection the way that you thought that it should. It's actually your medicine or your milk or your couch um, or the package that you would like delivered to your porch tomorrow um, that is, you know, quote unquote, in the way. So we're constantly and always, even pre-COVID, constantly trying to reinforce that connection to people and help them understand the essentiality of the industry and the hard work that the men and women in the industry do to make their lives more enjoyable. And then you, as you alluded to, like certainly over the last three months, um, what we have been harping on for years has been under a big spotlight for the rest of the you know, country to see. So there's obviously no being around the bush about it. COVID-19 has caused such a, a dynamic shift in so many industries, um, but trucking has to continue. And, and that's been one of the number one conversations is, you know, how do we get groceries to the grocery store? How do we make sure people can still have the essential needs? So where does trucking fall in the essential category and how is that, what challenges have you seen yeah. throughout this time? Yeah, so um, like I said, we've always kind of marketed ourselves as being essential. Um, and then that term kind of became in vogue. And now everyone's talking about what's essential and uh, essential and non-essential became this differentiating factor before everyone. Um, so... You know, we would say, you know, when the world stopped, trucking had to continue. So as uh, as you and I, you know, perhaps withdrew and, and decided to stay home or particular employers or industries began to shut down and minimize interaction, you still needed water. You still needed gas. You still expected there to be, you know, medicine at the pharmacy. Um, and then even to roll that into some, like, more high impact, you know, the masks and the ventilators and the the, you know, the hospital supplies, those are all delivered by a truck as well. So um, definitely uh, as a community, as a state, as a nation, we relied on trucking and expected them to continue to deliver. And that was not without challenge. So talk, talk through what's been the biggest thing you've seen from your role and how have you kind of had to lead through that and communicate some of those So challenges? I think you know, the biggest challenge that that we as an industry um, saw or are dealing with in, you know, the COVID-19 crisis is uncertainty. And, and I don't mean that to be like a cop-out answer, um, but in anything, if you don't know what the result is going to be, if you don't know what 
um, the rules are, then that creates a degree of angst. And so initially, the uncertainty of just how how are we going to be able to operate, um, the operational challenges of um, you know keeping rest areas open, keeping truck stops open, what were the the rules for um, you know how can a truck driver use the bathroom. Um, how do they renew their driver's license when DMVs are shutting down? How do they maintain their, you know, medical cards if we're discouraging going into, you know, medical settings? And so all of those operational challenges, initially that was the biggest hurdle um, to overcome because initially trucking continued to run, um, you know, during mid-March whenever the initial stay-at-home orders or, you know, um, states began to make decisions to um, encourage people to stay at home, our industry was not affected by that in the first stages. Um, you continued to see delivery of essential consumer goods, groceries, and if not, not only did we continue to deliver, there was a surge in demand, and so um, we had more trucks on the road, um, increased demand for products, and then how do you do that in this environment where, you know, I'm driving from state to state to state, and I don't know what the rules are from state to state. Um, so that was a, the big initial challenge. And then you roll that forward about two or three weeks, and then it became the economic challenge. Sure. So we, we, you know, met that surge demand. We, um, you know, applied all the resources that we had to try to make sure that the supply chain was um, protected and that people had the goods that they expected and the toilet paper was in the grocery store and kind of all of those things. Uh, but then when you started to see the auto manufacturers close, and major retail outlets close, and then institutions like colleges and cafe, you know, you don't think about all the food service that goes into those types of um, entities. And so when those major segments of our industry, you know, they're uh, large carriers that dedicate themselves almost exclusively to those types of services, um, when those disappear, you had this ex- excess capacity in the market. So while groceries continued to be delivered, now you had everyone that used to be hauling car parts or used to be hauling, you know, clothing or used to be hauling, you know, dry goods to um, cafeterias and colleges. Now they all of that capacity, you know, went into whatever is still moving, which drove the rates down substantially for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, so really no one was protected. Even if you were in those protected sectors, um, the competition that came at you um, – really um, created an economic um, impact, if not crisis, for our industry. Now, certainly, I've had this talk with some of our members. Um, you know, they feel like it's an economic crisis for them. You know, when things are down 14, 15, 20 percent over, year over year, that feels really sure. uncomfortable. Um, but if you overlay that with, let's look at the hospitality sector, or if you happen to own a hotel or a restaurant, you know, those, those industries. Um, so I have so to kind of like, right. I have to kind of like yeah. remind them, like, I, I know that our industry is not performing at the capacity that you want it to, and that your numbers look, um, you know, unfavorable year over year. Um, but compared to some other industries, it, it could be a lot worse. Yeah. Well, and I think that's, that's an important parallel because, I remember seeing um, a video that the CEO of Marriott put out to mm-hmm. all of its people mm-hmm. and essentially talked about how devastating this was to the organization as a whole. And I think they were down within two weeks, 80% mm-hmm. of revenue. And right. you think about that, how many companies can survive that? And so I know your members, like you said, span from everybody from the independent owner operator to FedEx and JB Hunt and, and these massive international carriers. Um, and even in, in that light, there's been a huge shift in, cause you know, we've all heard Amazon and Walmart and all these right. big box and, and massive uh, e-com sites surge. And there was a huge demand, it still is. Mm-hmm. And everybody wants their goods, they don't wanna have to go out and get them. But that still affects the trucking industry in a different way, right? Right, right, the supply chain looks different. Um, I think, you know, you were all, we were already, as an industry, we were already trending towards more, you know, individual delivery, more at home, more e-commerce, um, smaller packages, fewer miles, you know, distribution centers all over the country. That that was had already been a pretty significant trend in the industry over the last, you know, three or four years. Um, but I think the COVID-19 crisis 
certainly accelerated that. And I think perhaps we'll, we will see some lasting impacts from consumer expectations on what that final mile delivery looks like. And so as an industry, we'll have to continue to um, adapt to that. And, um, you know, how do you make money and what type of equipment and what type of drivers are necessary when the routes become smaller um, and the delivery circle or just, you know, everything is more compact. You mentioned the industry really got started in the 80s when deregulation happened. And then here we are, a regulation, an industry that still has a significant amount of regulation to it. And it's being shaken up just like everything else. But the importance of it is not going away. It's increasing. Um, do you see additional regulations, different regulations? Do you see anything like that happening? Is that a state thing? Is that a federal thing? Yeah, so it's uh, it's funny. We say we're the most regulated, deregulated industry <laughs> in the country. Um, so there's been um, a lot of activity, um, scrutiny uh, forced upon the industry during this crisis. Like I mentioned, if you start shutting down DMVs, you shut down, you know, access to local, you know, health clinics for DOT physicals. So things like hours of service, things like, you know, CDL renewals, medical card renewals, hazmat certifications, all that stuff has kind of been shelved for the last 90 days. Um, it's been remarkable the number of federal regulations that have been either modified or extended or given some sort of grace to allow the industry to continue to operate. Um, you know, certainly you'd be in a world of hurt if you were, you know, in early March, if your driver's license was set to expire in late April, you would have had no foresight to think, well, I need to renew sure. my driver's license or my medical card 45 days early. Um, but then when the time came, those services weren't available. So a lot of that stuff has been um, relaxed. I anticipate that most of that stuff will come back online. I mean, of course, we're going to go back to renewing our driver's license and medical cards on certain time frames. Um, kind of unplanned, um, there was actually a change in the hours of service rulemaking already started prior to um, the coronavirus pandemic. And so um, just last week, there was actually new hours of service. Um, the final rule came out from the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration. It's a rule um, that as an industry we advocated for. It's largely viewed as um, allowing more flexibility to the driver. Um, it's maintaining the same number of hours that they can work, but allowing them to be more flexible in how they use it, rest when they're tired or take a break when there's traffic congestion or other some sort of adverse um, driving conditions. So that is something new that will kind of coincide with as we roll out of this, um, those new rules being in place. And there's been some other maybe a little bit more nuanced things. Um, historically, states had been very um, territorial about their licensing procedures, and that's been done on a state-by-state -state basis. Um, as different states adapted to this or handled this crisis differently, um, those uh, regulations with regard to where you test and where you get a CD. So I'll try to get, make a simple example. Uh, let's say you live in Arkansas and you are choosing to go to work for a carrier in Indiana. So they bring you to Indiana and they put you through their school there on their campus for three weeks. Currently, you, you'd have to go back to Arkansas to test and get your CDL because that's what state right. where you live. Um, those rules were relaxed during this time so that if you were already in Indiana, they'd let you go ahead and test there and, and then send you back sure. home and reciprocate your CDL. Uh, that's something that the industry's kind of advocated as making sense um, for quite some time. And I think you'll see some support for maybe that staying, um, you know, post COVID-19. Um, and there's some other little nuanced things that, you know, you've, we do things because that's the way we've always done them. Um, and then when we're put into these extenuating circumstances, you think, oh, it really makes sense. Let's just go ahead and, you know, um, make this allowance and then allow that to roll forward. I heard an interesting perspective from a professor at a higher ed university in New York um, recently talk about the shift in higher education and how it's going to change because, of course, the cost to higher ed has just skyrocketed and the value is still about the same as it always has been. You haven't necessarily gotten more value out of it, but the cost has gone up. Um, and so what he was advocating was that online education is now going to become, it's, it's COVID-19 has created an accelerant as opposed to just an opportunity to pivot or innovation. Like we've already been trending towards these things. This just accelerates it. Mm -hmm. Is that how you feel about a lot of these things in the industry? I do. I think that, um, you know, whether we're talking about certainly the driver livability and some of the things that we had restricted and made their lives perhaps a little bit more difficult than they needed to be, um, th their role and, and highlighting the work that they've done over throughout this um, crisis 
has given a little bit more, a softer ear to some of those concerns. And so um, I do hope that we're able to um, utilize this and, and not, you know, we're not asking for anything that would compromise, you know, certainly the industry is um, dedicated to safety and um, all of all of those things, but some things that just kind of made sense that we were hesitant to change because that's the way we'd always done it. Um, I think certainly this, you know, circumstance has, like you said, accelerated um, some things that probably would have happened eventually should we, you know, once we'd been able to articulate the argument and collect the data, but this was kind of, you just collected the data because you had to. Right. And so now the data shows that it, the world doesn't, you know, end if we allow this you know, process to continue. And so, um, yeah, definitely there'll be some things that are accelerated through that. So I'm curious from your perspective, along that same vein, um, we're, we're in a time where there's been a lot of buzz lately about autonomous trucks and which changes the nature of this conversation completely because mm-hmm. you're not dealing as much with humans on the road. Um, where does that conversation pick up in light of all these events? And, and are we accelerating that side too? Or does that, I don't know, where, where are we at with that? Yeah, I think that the autonomous truck conversation is really attractive and sensational to people who are on the fringe of the industry. Um, I think when you talk to people who are in in it all day, every day, in an irregular route, planning you know, the movement of freight, that autonomous trucking is a really, really long ways away. Um, and not necessarily because the technology doesn't exist, but because the comfortability of the people who would be um, required to interact with it, the infrastructure that would be needed in order to communicate with it on a, you know, continuous basis, um, the liability concerns that, you you know, like there the kind of the behind the scenes framework that would need to be in place to allow that to be utilized on a large scale is a really, really massive. And I don't think that, yes, can we put a truck on the road and automate it from, you know, middle America to middle America? Yes, we can do that, but not on a, you know, you can't just turn them all loose because the the infrastructure, uh, the demand, and just the people in general um, are not comfortable with that just yet. So what do you see as kind of the next push into an innovative industry? Like how do we move the industry forward and, and what's kind of on the fringe that's ready to go? It yeah, just needs- I think staying, staying in that vein, there's certainly the technology that is in support of autonomous trucking. You know, when you say autonomous trucking, I hear driverless trucking. And those are not necessarily the same things. Um, and so I think that there is all sorts of opportunities within creating the, improving the job of the truck driver, um, utilizing that technology to make that job less stressful, um, to maybe alleviate some of the constraints that are placed upon those types of individuals. I mean, there's all sorts of, you know, health constraints and medicine and things of that nature that prohibit individuals from being truck drivers. But if you knew that technology was there to support them in the event that they did, you know, have some sort of health situation, uh, perhaps we could open up um, the opportunity to more individuals or loosen the restrictions on the types of medicine or types of health conditions. Um, I certainly think there's a lot of opportunity to utilize that technology to make the trucks safer, more efficient, and more autonomous. I just don't think that you'll see 80,000 pounds going 70 miles an hour down the interstate with, you know, more than once. (laughs) (laughs) Understood. Well, and I think about, you know, airplanes, of course, have autopilot. You Mm -hmm. can take off, land, everything without a pilot, but we don't want to put people in a plane without a pilot there. And, And I think it, kind of falls in the same vein? Is yeah. that how you kind of yeah, associate it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, yeah, the technology is there, um, but the, the people's desire to support it um, is lacking. Okay, so we talked a little bit about the economic impact. Um, do you think we rebound quickly? Does this, is this something that, that we can come out of from a, a industry perspective without too much of a overall loss? I mean, a lot of people are saying it'll be 2021 before you get back and you, you just hopefully, like you're saying, accept the loss this year, just stay in business. Yeah, I think certainly, um, you know, the members that I talk to now are still feeling very uncertain about what this recovery looks like. Um, I was just reading yesterday on some some April numbers that have come out that show um, that the 
drop in tonnage in April was the worst in truck tonnage. So the amount of freight being hauled by our industry dropped in April greater than it had in 25 years. Wow. So like, we're not talking about like an 08 recession. We're talking about like 1994. Mm-hmm. Um, and so just the huge, um, you know, just pulling that amount of activity out of the economy. And so the number of jobs, um, you know, just the recovery from everything that I've read and some of the, you know, industry experts that are advising, you know, our members, um, they liken it to it's not going to be flipping a switch. It's going to be a series of switches that are flipped over a long period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you never know when you might flip a switch and the lights don't come on. Um, you know, there's certain segments of the um, industry, like if you look at um, even food processing right now, like despite their best efforts to continue to operate and continue to, you know, stay open and processed food in the event that there's a virus outbreak they they can't it doesn't matter how much you want to move that freight or you want to be open um you know there are certain things that are out of our control and so i think if you look at um the economic recovery and the solution to the health crisis are related and as we look forward um you know i think we're i'm optimistic that um that there will be a recovery throughout, you know, that, that we've seen the worst of it. I think that I do believe that that's sure. um, true. I, I, I think that just the, the decisions that were made that halted the U S economy. Um, I think they were made with the best intentions, but the true cost of that wasn't really known until that decision was already made. And so I don't foresee that that decision will be revisited or that we'll try to that approach again. Um, and so I think that we may, because of that, the recovery may be longer and maybe sure. prolonged to, to avoid some sort of health crisis that makes us feel like we need to shut down again. Um, but we expect 2020 to be a slow recovery. Um, certainly the consumer demand is there. Um, as you've seen, you know, continue, we've continued to see the e-commerce, um, you know, you continue to see people, um, you know, housing hasn't really taken a hit. Um, automobiles for the ones that are available, you know, in the market haven't really taken that big of a hit. So if we can get Americans back to work um, slowly throughout the rest of the year, I, I think the economy, the fundamental, you know, the economy was so, so good, yeah. you know, six months ago. Yeah. Um, and I think if you look at, you know, Wall Street, Wall Street thinks it's going to come back. Um, mm-hmm. They've, they've um, surged this week. And so, I'm optimistic that we will recover in 2020. I just think it'll be slower than we desire for it to be. Absolutely. I think when when the conversation first started around the pandemic, uh, the the hashtag was flatten the curve, right? Everybody mm-hmm. was about flatten the curve. It was talking mm-hmm. about the healthcare curve, you know, slow the, the spread of the virus so we don't overwhelm the healthcare system. Um, and, I, and I've talked about this a lot, but we only talked about one curve at the time. And, and really, there's a second curve, and that was the economy and the unemployment rate mm-hmm. uh, and how dramatic that curve was overnight almost. Right. And, um, and I think since, like you were saying, we've seen the worst of it, that that curve has started to flatten. And, but you're right. It's not just we come right back to normal. It's right. a slow, drawn-out recovery for the safety and well-being of, of everyone, but also because now we do have to do things different. We have to figure that out before we can just put everybody back to work. Right. Um, so how does the ATA, how does Arkansas Trucking Association play into that? I know, you know, obviously from my perspective, a lot of this has to do with the stories we're telling. How do we get the stories out of what we're going to do, how we're going to do it, how it's going to keep people safe and ultimately put people back to work? Yeah, so, um, I mean, I think the fact that our industry never stopped um, makes it a little bit more challenging thinking how's it going to look different because we were kind of like doing it differently as we went um and you know kind of we talked about earlier like um the lifestyle of the driver and how do they find services and how do they find food and how do they keep themselves healthy and how do they have access to masks and sanitizer and that's all been a really complicated thing to try to figure out while they continue to move it's not like we got to shut down 
and stock the you know trucks with hand sanitizer and you know stock up on masks and then yeah. send them back out um it was trying to literally passing that stuff out at a rest area while they're continuing to work um so that's been a, a really weird um thing to try to you know make sure that they were healthy and keep the industry moving um if you talk about you know what that looks like going forward um the the dry the job of a truck driver is actually pretty safe. I mean, they, if you think about the scenarios in which they um, have been identified as high risk, I mean, there's, they're not engaged with a large quantity of people on a frequent basis. Um, they, they do spend a lot of time on their own. Um, but then you think about the things that they're touching or perhaps the scenarios in which they're going into, and those scenarios could potentially be high risk. If you're delivering to a hospital in New Orleans, then all of a sudden your low-risk job just became, you know, a high-risk exposure. Um, and so we've been working on um, trying to make sure that drivers have access to testing. Um, I think that's been that's something that we've been working on extremely recently. Just announced that yesterday, um, and we were able to make the argument that you know, the, again, the, the position itself is not necessarily high risk, but you don't necess- you don't know where they're delivering to, you don't know where they're going, they're continuing to move throughout the country, and then return home to their families and their communities. And how can we help them do that and feel safe and feel valued and feel like they're doing that with the best information available and we think that is by allowing them if they so choose to have to, you know be tested for COVID-19 and so um, just yesterday the Department of Health um, made being a commercial truck driver kind of like a qualifying um, condition so if a truck driver wants cool. to be tested um, they can go to their community health clinic and and get tested so that's something to help the drivers feel um better about themselves and, and, you know, be conscious about, conscientious about their own health, but then also the communities that they're returning to. You don't want, you know, the last thing that we want is for some community to have some negative perception of, you know, this truck driver went somewhere and, and brought, um, you know, COVID-19 back to our community. So um, we're doing everything that we can to try to make um, the drivers feel safe, but then also have the information and access to protect themselves. Well, that's perfect because I think, you know, the reality is the whole travel industry shut down because we're, that's what we're trying to do is avoid mm-hmm. people having to go from one place to the other. But it's the very nature of the job of a truck driver to go from one community to another. And like you said, put themselves in some sometimes fairly high risk areas. So that's great that uh, that you guys were able to help kind of push that along and, and allow the drivers to feel more at ease. And, and I think you're right. The communities as a whole feel more at ease that they can have access to testing and the right gear. I, when we walked in here today, saw boxes of masks and sanitizer that you guys are passing out. So I think that's that's all perfect. Yeah. I mean, and all um, in kind of evolution of what our organization does <laughs> and, and why. Um, you know, there's certainly, um, you know, promote, protect, and serve is a very broad umbrella for which that we, you know, say that we do. Um, as an organization, but um, that has certainly taken on some some new meanings and, and, and new tasks um, over the last three months. Yeah, well, I want to shift gears a little bit um, sure. because one of the big conversations coming out of this whole thing as well is, you know, how are leaders leading through all of this? And so from a personal level, um, you know, when all this first happened, everybody sort of figured out, are we going to work from home? We're going to, do we have to go to the office? Whatever that looks like for each organization has been different based on your needs. But, but as someone leading not only your own organization, but really kind of being a voice of an industry, what have you done to sort of, I mean, kind of keep yourself sane, let's be honest. Everybody has to kind of figure out how to do that. Do I wake up every morning and get dressed like I always did? Or do I do my Zoom calls in, you know, what I slept in last night? I think, I think that's been a fun, interesting thing we've been seeing. But, but what does that look like for you? Yeah, so it is an interesting mix of, um, you know, I, I don't. Our association is not a trucking company. But we represent an industry that didn't get to take a break. Um, and so that was a very delicate balance in, you know, what, what's safe and what makes sense for the actual type of work that our organization does. And then how do we reflect, you know, and be sensitive to the strains that our members are experiencing. And so we kind of split the baby on that. Um, we had some um, members of the team um, elect to work from home. 
I, you know, our office is plenty spacious and, um, I have two kids, two dogs and two cats. And so working from home is not really that feasible (laughs) for me. Um, and so I continued to come into the office just because I felt like that's how I, um, identified or connected to um, the business owners that we were trying to serve. Um, and it, it did feel like, it, it really felt like a crisis. It did really feel like we were, I mean, we were having not, not Zoom calls, but conference calls um, on a regular basis to try to share as much information as possible. I felt like really, um, you know, in an uncertain time or in times where you feel like um, you don't know, you know, what to do, that the camaraderie of, of knowing that everyone else felt the same way, there was value in that. Um, and so we um, did have calls for our trucking executives um, to just kind of have that community of this is what I'm experiencing or this is what I'm, you know, in this part of the country I've had this particular trouble. Um, and so as an organization, we we were doing everything that we could to advocate for, you know, the most consistent um, operational, um, you know, groundwork, um, but then also just kind of being a facilitator and a counselor of, you know, come together, tell us what your challenges are, because that's the only way that I'm going to know how to help you is if I know what's, you know, bothering you today. Sure. I think communication has been the key through all of this. If, If people aren't communicating, if there's not clear lines, then everybody's guessing. And to your point, nobody feels like, anybody else understands what they're going through. This is just me. I'm dealing with it. Have you noticed that you've kind of taken on different um, personal daily habits or things, or has it been pretty much business as usual from your perspective? I have, I I thrive on in routine. Um, And so for me, um, it it has been as normal as possible. Um, You know, continuing to, get up every morning, get dressed and come to the office and turn the computer on and, uh, you know, find out what the crisis of the day was for, for a while. That's kind of what it felt like. Um, and so, you know, my routine didn't change that much. Certainly it's different. It feels different. There's no, you know, you park in an empty parking deck and you ride the elevator alone and, you know, there's no one here to answer the phone. And, um, and so it feels different. It, it did feel as though we were experiencing something that was unusual. Um, but, having that consistency for me was, it made me feel, um, made me feel like there was something normal about navigating what, what was certainly not normal. Yeah. As I've talked to a lot of people as well, I think one of the interesting, um, parallels is, you know, every organization wants to have a strong team. You want to bring in strong team members to, to get you through. Um, but then when you're faced with unique situations like this, the importance of that team becomes more and more paramount. Um, so talk me through kind of your direction. How do you create a solid team and then how do they function and, and push forward on that vision and, and mission that you guys have created? Yeah, so um, I do think we, we've, you know, we do have a great team. Um, there are seven of us um, that work full-time at the association and, and we each, everybody's different. You know, we have a small office environment um, Everyone has their own roles and responsibilities, and um, and it certainly works better when we're all here. It feels better when we're all here and we all are communicating regularly, and you know, um, you know who's pulling um, various ways. But um, in this particular case, like as you mentioned, you know, communication, regulation, um, and, and being able to tell the story of the industry and what was happening were all really, really important. Um, and we, my communications director is fantastic um and so she and i i mean we talked you know every day um she's actually one of the ones that um, she has a health condition that made sense for her to work from home uh but it really just kind of forced us to um be more communicative i mean i tend to i am an introvert like i it's it's easy for me i'd rather just do it myself and i'd rather uh, make a list and 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 knock it out but that wasn't feasible during this time. We had to divide and conquer and we had to communicate and I had to, you know, delegate and rely on other people to be able to have the answers that I couldn't give. Um, And so it's been, um, I would say that probably most good teams would say this has been a good experience for them. I mean, like no one would choose to or sign up to navigate through 
um, a health crisis and an economic crisis, but it has um, allowed us to know what we're good at and who to kind of rely on in those very in those different situations. Um, and I think that we'll be better going forward because of this, you know, time of crisis that we live through together. Is there anything about the industry as a whole that you feel like is often overlooked other than the industry as a whole? Yeah. Um, what, what do people need to know, like, as they enter back into traveling more and, and things like that? I mean, what, what's something important for people to keep in mind? I think, um, you know, what I hope comes from this and what I hope that we're able to leverage and help people understand better is the type of men and women that are truck drivers. Mm. I think that is very often um, just kind of ill-conceived, whether it's, you know, someone that you saw at a truck stop or a movie that you watched or whatever, like people's perception of that is something that is distant or that they don't associate with, not necessarily the individual that they go to church with or that lives three streets over that they don't realize is a truck driver. And so um, I, I hope that the true, you know, humanity, the the hard work and dedication, the pride that those individuals have in, you know, truck driving is a hard job in 2019. Right. Um, I mean, it, it's something that um, the people that do it largely choose to do it because they feel pride. They, they know that what they're doing is essential. They know that whether you acknowledge it or not, that without them, there wouldn't have been, you know, groceries in the grocery store. Um, and so I hope that the service that they provide and the pride that they take in their job is somehow, somehow resonates and that people are able to hold on to that beyond coronavirus. I, I think one of the things that's going to, continue to evolve out of this whole pandemic is you know we all as humans we relate to stories we want to create stories in our head and we want people to tell us good stories and one of the things that I think is is absolutely going to happen is just like any good story you're going to have heroes and you're going to have villains and I think coming coming out of this we're going to automatically view healthcare workers as, as heroes as they are frontline workers that have put themselves you know in harm's way and, and gone to work every day and done the, the hard job to, you know, eradicate this virus the best they can and, and heal people that have, have gotten it. Um, but there's going to be un, unsung heroes as well. And I think truck drivers have to be part of that conversation because to the conversation we just had, yeah. without them, we would all be sitting at home hunting squirrels in our backyard. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I would say that, you know, I've been surprised, but very, but pleasantly surprised. If you look at some of the, the stories that um, major, you know, retailers and marketers have told, like if you look at, you know, the media commercials that are running now about, you know, everybody's jumping on the, un, you know, recognize the true heroes or you know everyday heroes and, and those types of uh, platforms and programs. That if you just capture any of them, it is you know healthcare workers truck drivers or they call you know in some some markets they call it delivery drivers or, mm. but but the profile and awareness is certainly greater than it was before um and so i do think that there is an opportunity for um the truck drivers to be seen in a more heroic light and for their efforts to continue to work in you know times where you know they themselves have to had to be a little bit afraid um and continuing to work throughout that, that I, that I do think people will appreciate that role more and, and the work that they do. Um, well, I know, I think it was earlier this month, uh, you know, the Blue Angels were doing and the, and the Thunderbirds were doing flyovers over a lot of communities to, to you know, thank the frontline workers. And I would love to um, lobby to get them to fly down I-40 and just, well, that's a good idea. you know, thank, yeah. a, thank a truck driver. Yeah, no, um, that's a good idea. I thought of that. <laughs> so if you're out there, if you're listening, um, thank any truck driver that you know. No, for I appreciate that. Definitely uh, allowing us to, to live as normal of a life as we can right. during this crazy time. Um, okay. What's next for you guys? What What's on your big goals list coming out of this? I mean, what do you guys want to do moving forward? Um, so I, I have two um, 
goals for, you know, when you quote unquote big goals for this year. Um, and one of them is a, it comes from coronavirus and that is to um, make sure that we don't miss the opportunity to tell the story of what trucking has done um, during the crisis and leverage the exposure and um, the opportunity to just kind of um, make known what they've done and, and take advantage of that. And then the second one was was our goal. The big thing that we were supposed to be working on this year um, was the um, November election for the Half Cent Highway campaign, uh, which is the culmination of years' worth of efforts um, to try to secure, you know, long-term adequate funding um, for the infrastructure of this state. And so if you think about, you know, all of our appreciation for truck drivers and then, um, you know, the safety, reliability, um, you know, all of the network that they rely on to do their job um, is at risk and the funding for that is at risk. And so what we had planned on focusing this year on was communicating um, to the public, you know, the importance of infrastructure and whether it be your school bus or how you get to work and back, um, you know, having adequate funding for that. And um, that was supposed to be our big project. And I think now the message shifts because now we're looking at an economic recovery and the opportunity to continue to fund construction jobs, maintenance jobs, um, city and county governments. I mean, all of those um, things that were sort of underlying issues before, um, now perhaps it, there's a shift in, um, yes, we need adequate and safe roads, but um, now it's not the time to, to pull that money out of uh, the economy if you start looking at, you know, construction and maintenance projects and city and county governments. I think it's it's easy to, to put a lot of attention on um, the, the truck drivers and the things they've had to continue to do because they're kind of the visible ones in the industry. Uh, but there's a lot of people behind the scenes that goes into trucking companies and making sure, you know, from a leadership perspective, an operational perspective, keeping trucks on the road, um, this decision making from CEOs and, and chief operating officers at larger truck, trucking companies. Um, what have you seen talking to those people, those leaders of organizations? Because it's hard on them, too. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of times we want to say, well, the truck driver is the one going from point A to point B and, and having to figure out how to stay safe during that time. But but it's difficult for a leader to make the decision. Do we do we do that? Because we got to get these goods there. We have to make the tough decisions. How, how is that conversation been talking to these people? Yeah, so I think that they have very much um, shouldered kind of the responsibility that we've we've talked about, like, how do we continue to do what we know we have to do while demonstrating confidence and making sure that our employees are safe? How do we protect the office? You know, um, to your point, I mean, I, over 80,000 people in Arkansas work in the trucking industry more than half of them are in support roles than they are actually driving a truck. Um, and so you think about, yes, yes, the truck driver has to continue to move, but someone is in the office talking to the shipper and talking to the, you know, uh, receiver and making sure that, um, you know, all the paperwork and documentation and um, safety procedures and maintenance of the equipment. Uh, I mean, there's so many things that are going into making sure that that freight is delivered. Um, that yes, all of those people, they were also essential and they were also continuing to go to work for the most part, uh, particularly in the small, you know, if you look at, you know, companies that were running 100 trucks um, in that, you know, the mid-sized carriers, those companies are not set up to send everybody home. Right. Um, and so you have, you know, small communities across the state where you had, you know, 50 and 60 people showing up for work every day um, in an environment in which their leaders and their CEOs were trying to lead by example and, and be present. But they're also unsure, you know, how, how am I going to pay these drivers? How am I going to make sure that they have enough miles? How am I going to go find freight so that they're not sitting, you know, the worst thing to be doing, to happen was to have a driver who's deemed essential and, and working, but away from home and not making any money. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think there's just been a, a lot of pressure on a lot of people um, to make sure that the job that needs to be done gets done. But then also, you know, as that became more challenging and as the economy began to shrink, you know, how do we 
keep our people employed? How do we keep them moving? How do we make enough money so that so that they're not having to furlough employees and, and do the things that some other industries, um, you know, were forced to do? So, you know, it's been a lot of pressure um, on, a, on, on the industry as a whole. So whether you were managing that driver and trying to make him feel more comfortable on the road or managing an entire operation and trying to, you know, make sure that your employees were safe and that they had, they, you know, had protective equipment or that they were able to space out. I know we had a member who was talking about, you know, they, what normally would have been the conference room or what normally would have been, you know, unutilized white box space, you know, over some other, you know, department, um, they're moving desk or moving computers to try to um, accommodate, you know, social distancing and keep people um, from sitting right on top of each other. So it's definitely been a, a just a super weird time to, to navigate, but um, really proud of the people who have done what needed to be done to, to keep the industry moving. Yeah, I think for me, one of the important messages coming out of all this, um, especially in the trucking industry, logistics, supply chain, um, because it's more sort of behind the scenes, it's not quite as visible. And what is visible is the drivers themselves. So we're, I think people need to have gratitude for people like truck drivers and healthcare workers. Um, they need to have empathy and compassion for the leaders of these organizations that have had to make tough decisions and probably didn't make the right decision every time, but had to make a decision. Mm-hmm. And, and they bear the weight of that, and they have to live with whatever that decision was. Um, and so I just hope as things kind of continue to get back to normal, there's just a, a sense of gratitude for the people that were out there doing the jobs visibly, and then compassion and empathy for the ones that had to make those tough decisions. Yeah, no, I certainly would share your um, hope that, um, that people would understand that the industry is Certainly the, the job the truck drivers have done is, is visible and appreciated, but um, they can't do that alone. And, and there was a lot of support behind them from individuals and executives trying to make sure that they're trying to make sure that the driver's life um, was as livable and, um, you know, <laughs> easy. Uh, easy is not the right word. Um, just trying to make sure that their job was doable. Um, but then there were people who were stressed out, you know, sitting behind a desk somewhere as well. So one of the other things about your role is kind of the lobbying political side, talking to politicians. Do you like that? Is that something that you enjoy about the job? Is that something that that you work hard at? Right. So when I when I came to the association, that was certainly not something that I had a pedigree in or any experience or really even a natural interest in. Um, But if you fast forward to today, um, certainly, you know, our organization is charged with preventing bad ideas from becoming bad laws. I mean, like, if you think about the way that policymakers make their decisions, um, if they don't have adequate information, then they make inadequate decisions. Um, and so I have really um, enjoyed working on that the last two or three years. I think prior to, um, you know, being I became president in 2014, and prior to that, there really wasn't an opportunity for me to be involved. And so when I um, kind of was like thrust into it, um, I really didn't know what I was doing. Um, I didn't have any experience. We had a lot of people on contract trying to kind of help um, bridge the gap between the relationships that weren't didn't exist. Um, and I, while being um, an introvert, and if you're kind of thrust into what would be lobbying and, and political relations, um, so much of that is relationship-based. Um, but for me, I'm so competitive. And so, like, the trigger that that makes me um, work harder, that makes me try to message it different, that makes me want to, um, you know, engage with people who think differently than I do, is how can we how can we win? How can we make them see this issue or this problem through our point of view? And how can we convince them um, that our approach or that our resolution is the right one for this particular challenge? So I have um, been surprised with um, really the people, I mean, the people that I've been able to make um, relationships with and been able to leverage those relationships in order to get, you know, positive policy um, changes for the industry um, has been really rewarding in a way that I didn't anticipate. 
Another interesting thing that I find specifically with Arkansas Trucking Association is, um, you know, I think proof that the world is advancing and moving in directions that probably when, you, you know, deregulation happened, people would have never seen this coming. But your organization is predominantly, if not all, women and run by women. So talk to me about what that's like um, being in an industry that has historically and probably still been dominated by men. Yeah, so our uh, our board of directors has 21 people on it, and I believe that three of them are female. So, and that might capture all of the female executives with, throughout the membership. Um, so, the industry itself is very um, male dominated, um, and most of them, you know, started their business or entered the industry in the 80s and have um, continued to manage their companies or work in the industry since then. Um, I certainly perceived it to be a, a disadvantage early in my career because I just felt like an outsider. Um, and there are still circumstances in which that is true. Um, you know, I don't get invited to the golf outing or the hunting trip or the floating whatever. Um, you know, there are circumstances in which it is um, still somewhat of a challenge or something to overcome. Um, but I... Uh, I, I just think that people recognize hard work, and I'm not willing to um, accept being left out, perhaps. And so I think um, I actually had this conversation with um, a, a colleague who's a male who is approximately my age, um, who represents another industry, and he was like, "Well, how did you get involved? You know, how did you get involved in this um, task force that was working on this particular problem?" And I was like, "You have to be aggressive, like." If you want to be included, you're going to have to lean in, demonstrate your value, and ask to be included. And so um, while I may be an introvert, I've never been accused of not being um, forward or sharp and asking for something that I wanted. And so um, I think that's been this weird um, dynamic of, no, it doesn't look like what you um, thought it would look like, but the attributes and the characteristics of, that represent the industry, which would, you know, be, you know, hard work and commitment and, um, you know, dedication. Some of those elements remain true, even if um, I'm not an old white man. Um, within the organization, I mean, the team's built out um, to the strengths that we need. And it just happened. I mean, three of the three of us have been here um, since before I um, was in leadership. And so I can't take credit um, for them. But uh you know, the, if you think about public relations and communications and events and some of the stuff that an you know, organization like ours does, like ours um, is charged with, those are predominantly female roles. Um, and so it's not that unusual to have an organization that's um, primarily female, um, but to have an all-female office representing a predominantly male industry is certainly unusual. Yeah. And I hope as we continue to move forward, I mean, you know, one of the things I do with my organization is, is exactly that, not look at gender for any reason. Um, what I look at is perspective. You know, do you bring a different perspective to the table, whether your, you know, gender, race, or, or age matters. Mm -hmm. um, but really, to me, it makes no difference. If you're man, woman, white, black, right. young, old, if, if you fit the job and if you can get it done, then let's leave that conversation off the table. I, I definitely agree with you. Um, I mean, I think that what I would look at is, you know, what what are the skill set um, and, and what do you bring to the table that, you know, meets the needs that we have. Um, but also, and I know you're in the same, you know, it's a small office. And so, um, you know, what type of personality dynamic are you introducing into, I think, something that's really special about um, our organization is that it's it's pleasurable, like it's enjoyable to come to work and we enjoy each other's company and we visit and everything is, um, you know, amicable. Um, and when you talk about bringing someone else into a team that's at that size, um, yes, you want a different perspective. You don't want everyone to be the same, um, but you also are looking for a personality and a kind of a culture um, fit that will allow everyone to continue to work together in a positive way. You can't get to the position you're in alone there has to be some people that have led the way for you or people that you look at what i like to call titans in your own world um people that that sort of have helped get you here so who stands out who are some of those people along the way 
Well, that's two different questions. People that helped me get here or people that I would um, perceive to be titans in the industry or people that I would look up to, um, maybe two different classifications. Certainly, you're right. No one gets um, to a, a position of leadership without someone um, helping them. And I think it's hard for me to name one person, but collectively, um, you know, I've been at the association 18 years. Um, and so I think as a very young and green individual who came um, just looking for an opportunity and, and committed to, you know, working hard, um, there were people who noticed that and, and, and encouraged it and fostered it um, and didn't necessarily pat me on the head and tell me to, you know, go back to my office. And so there were, um, you know, members, of, I'm trying to think, members of the board when I first started were people like Robert Young and Sheridan Garrison and um, J.B. Hunt. I mean, th- those people were still involved um, when I started. And so to to have access to those individuals and to be encouraged to speak up and to participate um, certainly gave me confidence. I don't know at that time whether I deserved it or not, um, but I think um, all of those individuals lending credibility to our organization and giving me a voice um, helped me see that there was a future for me here. Um, And I don't know that I would have, I I certainly didn't see it in myself. Like when I came here, I didn't think one day I'm going to be the the president of this organization. That was, um, that was an idea that was planted in me from the people who were in leadership here. Um, who saw that that was an opportunity for me. I love that. Okay, we'll move into just some real quick hit questions because I love love these, but um, are you a reader? I'm not. I know you're going to ask that. I am not an (laughs) avid reader. I mean, I read like the news. Sure. um, But I don't read books for fun. Are you a TV watcher? Kind of. Tiger King? Did you get into it? I did Tiger King. Outer Banks was my most recent binge series. That's fair enough. I like that. Um, daily routine. What do you have to do every single day? I know a lot of people, it's coffee right out of bed. Some people, it's coffee in the office. Yeah. Are you, do you exercise, work out? I what? do work out. Um, but if I worked, if I told you I worked out every single day, that'd be a lie. <laughs> um, I try to work out four days a week. Um, I, my probably unfortunate thing that I'll share, like I like to play games on my phone before I go to bed. Yeah, you like, gotta tell us what game. Veg out. Um, my game right now is called Two Dots. So like it's sort of like if you think about like if you go Tetris or any sort of like mind logic, sure. um, something. My mind goes one thousand miles an hour about everything that I should be doing while I'm not doing it. And so in order for me to just completely turn it off before I go to sleep, I have to unplug and make my mind think about Two Dots instead of <laughs> the unanswered emails. Fair enough. I completely, uh, I, I get that. Um, best piece of advice you either given or received? Know what you're good at. And more importantly, know what you're not. So are you a don't do what you're not good at or double down on your weaknesses? Um, I am at accentuate the positive and backfill on the negative. Gotcha. <laughs> um, do you have any relatively new habits that you formed whether they're good or bad um no <laughs> good well you mentioned your person of routine you like the routine right. so that probably keeps you from forming new habits very easily yeah. and, but conversely forming bad habits yeah i um try i don't really like surprises or variants and so I've, if it's if it's new i'm probably i'm not a real big fan <laughs> If you could write a book, what would the title be? My grandmother would say there's no such thing as good enough. I like that. That's good. (laughs) Hey, and grandmother's no best. That's right. All right. Music. What are you jamming out to in the car on your way to the office? So I'm a top 40 kind of, um, you know, generic whatever is new. Um, I love music. I can't. In fact, this is probably not good for a pot. I can't stand not to listen to music in the car. Um, So I thrive on my music in fact when I travel the thing that I miss the most is the time in the car with my music <laughs> um so whatever is new on top 40 I'm a big Taylor Swift fan a huge Justin Timberlake fan 
anyone who knows me would bust my chops if I didn't mention that. So (laughs) if I I had to um, claim my favorites, those are them. All right. And favorite foods. What do you do when you pick a restaurant or you cook at home? What's your go-to? So we eat Larry's Pizza every Friday night, and we have for 11 years. So I'm hardcore committed to Larry's Pizza in Bryant, which is where we live. Um, and then probably like my, if, if, as though Larry's Pizza is not bad enough, my kind of um, guilty pleasure is macaroni and cheese. Like if you tell me that. Craft out of a box? No. Okay. Real macaroni and cheese. Yeah. Homemade macaroni and cheese. Fair enough. All right. What can people do to find out more about your association or the trucking industry at large? If they want to be supportive. Sure. So um, the Arkansas Trucking Association is on every social media platform that you might be able to find. Um, our website is arkansastrucking.com, and you can go there to learn about um, what we do as an organization, how we serve our members, and how we advocate for the drivers as well. Awesome. Well, Shannon, thank you so much. This was a great conversation. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. If you like this episode of Titans of Industry, head to contenttitan.co slash podcast for more episodes or subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. And if you know of an industry titan that's doing amazing things, let us know on social media or through our website so we can tell their story. Thanks for listening.